I would imagine most of us are familiar with important voices from the past, important stories from the past. I think of things like this. I think of, um, in 1517, Martin Luther um, nailing the 95 theses on the wall and, and having to go to the Council of Worms and being called before to defend his doctrine. As he stood before all those people at the Council of Worms, he said this, Martin Luther said this, I cannot and will not recant for anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor stay. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me, amen. The story of Martin Luther as he began the Protestant Revelation resonates probably well within our hearts and minds as we think about the things that have gone through in the history. Think of Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Lincoln standing in an open field in um, Soldiers Memorial in Gettysburg where he, he dedicated that, that field uh, to, the, uh, to, the, to the Soldier's Memorial. He said these words, Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. And one of the resonating phrases from Lincoln was this, don't forget what these men have done. Don't forget that they sacrificed their lives to be at this particular point in time as he stood before them. I think of 1963, Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous I Have a Dream speech. I went back and read that, through that. I was surprised at how much scripture is given in that. And he gives an impassioned plea for African Americans and civil rights. He spoke for a nation in 1963. And he ends his speech with these words. When we let freedom ring, when we let it ring from every tenement and every hamlet, from every state, from every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. His voice spoke for a generation of people about the equality. What about our modern era? Maybe Reverend Billy Graham, some of you probably heard him, maybe even saw him on TV spoke for a generation of people, thousands, millions of people speaking to them and giving them a simple mission, a simple uh, uh, proclamation of repent, turn your mind and your heart to the Lord, and you can experience the forgiveness of sin. Uh, Billy Graham spoke for a generation of people. We have all of these stories of our past, and we think it, it resonates well within our minds and our hearts, and it causes us to think and be reflective of things. And probably the, the, the most important voices are our own family and friends. I mean, those of us that are older. Do you remember what your grandmother said or a phrase or something? Is there, can you hear her voice or your mom or your dad's voice or even a family member or friend? Can you hear their voice in the back of your mind speaking to you about a certain situation to live this way? You know, we have all of these voices from our pasts. In our text this morning from the Gospel of, of Luke, we have... Mark, and what he's doing is he's going to go back to voices. He's going to go to, back to the, the prophets of old. He's going to go say, to, to the to prophets of, of Malachi and, and Moses and, and the book of Exodus. And as I, he's going to go back and he's going to point us to Scripture in, in who Jesus is. He's going to go look back to the past and, and remind us of who Jesus is and what he's done. And he's a fulfillment of everything that's come from in the past. The last prophet that they had heard from was Malachi. 400 years, silence. Where's God? Has God forgotten about us? Maybe you feel that way sometimes. Has God forgotten about us? 
What, what about his promises? 400 years, silent years. All of a sudden, this guy dressed really oddly with an incredibly unfamiliar or uh, unpopular message about repentance comes along the scenes and he begins to speak a message about repentance and a, a message about the nature and the character of who Jesus is. And Jesus' ministry goes public by this guy by the name of John the Baptist. And we have another voice, if you will, the voice of John the Baptist, along with the voice of Scripture. And, and, and a message about unique person of Jesus. We have these voices speaking to us from the past, bringing us into the present of who Jesus is. So we're in Mark chapter 1. And what I want to do is I just want to read these verses. Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. So here are the word of the Lord. It says this. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make a straight path for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem, they went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the voices of the past. Father, we have the voice of Scripture today ringing in our hearts and minds, reminding us of the continuity from the Old Testament to the New Testament, reminding us that, that you are ultimately the one who fulfill all promises. And Father, this this message of Jesus, the life of Jesus, did not come to us in a vacuum that we can look to the Old Testament, we can look to what you promised and you proclaimed by the prophets and how they have their fulfillment today. And Father, we thank you that you are the ultimate promise keeper, Lord, that you would send your Messiah to come and redeem us and to offer us the forgiveness of sin. So Father, I pray that this morning you would open our hearts and minds to the reality of your word and that you would speak to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So it, the, the topic that I, I, I picked, or the title, if you will, is Hearing Voices. And I came with that because of what we see in the text. In verse 2, it says this, it is written. In, in other words, what Mark's doing is, Mark's going back to the past. He's, he's going back to, to Scripture. And he says, there's, there's a voice in Scripture from the past. And, and also, there's another voice. And, and it's the voice of John's preaching. And John's preaching is going to be a, a really unpopular message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When was the last time you stood on a street corner and called people to repent? Let me ask you something. When was the last time in a context of sharing the gospel with someone, you actually invited them to repent? Well, well, repentance is a part of the story. It's a part of the voice, if you will. But there's another voice, and John speaks a message about the nature and the character and the wonder and the beauty of who Jesus is and what he will do with us in cleansing our hearts and minds through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we, we have these voices, and I want us to hear voices this morning. Not necessarily my voice, but maybe the voice of the Lord, maybe the voice of Scripture, maybe the voice of John the Baptist. So three voices, if you will, that we're going to hear this morning. First one is the voice of Scripture. So I want you to notice how this begins. Um, it, it just starts out, and, and what Mark does is he takes us back, if you will. Now, what's not in our version, but, but it's really in there. It says this, just as it is written or as it is written. In other words, you have verse 1, but you have this continuation going on in verses 2 through 8. In other words, we can't just separate and divide these things out. There's a continuity, if you will, in the story. 
And, and he says this, it is written, and he quotes from the, the book of Isaiah. But he doesn't just quote from the book of Isaiah. He's going to quote from Moses in Exodus, and he's going to quote from Malachi, and he's going to quote from Isaiah. Why does he, why does he quote from all of these books and just bring up the name of Isaiah? I, I think there's a reason for that. Because when you look at Malachi and when you look at Isaiah, they kind of go together about a messenger and about a message. They go together. So the Jewish people would keep those two frame of references from Malachi and Isaiah together because they knew that this is the promise of the messenger, the promise of the message. So they probably kept them together. But I think there's something else on this. They would have been familiar with Isaiah. If you go back and look at the section, they didn't have chapters back then. If you go back and look at the section, if you will, in Isaiah, it begins, Isaiah chapter 40, with this wonderful message of comfort, comfort my people, comfort the people. Why? Because your sin has been paid for. And it ends in chapter 40 with this idea of, of Isaiah the prophet and, and this wonderful message of who God is and what he would do. How he'd raise up on eagle's wings and take care of his people. And sandwiched in the middle of this is the idea that the, there's going to be a forerunner. The Messiah is going to come. So there's no doubt there's this idea, this, this voice from the past, this voice from Isaiah, this voice from Malachi is speaking to the people. And, and Mark wants to draw that out, if you will, as he begins this testimony about Jesus. So let's just look at these texts, if you will. Let's look at each of these verses and see what we might learn from what Mark is trying to get here. Voice number one is from Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. God is speaking to Moses. He's speaking to Moses. And, and notice what he writes. Exodus chapter 23. God speaking. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you, of Israel, to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared for you. What God is doing is God is preparing the people. He's saying, listen, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go before you. I'm going to send an angel before you. I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to bring you into the promised land, and I'm going to guard you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. That's Exodus. Notice how Mark interprets this. Verse 2, he says, I will send my messenger ahead of you. Well, who's the you here? Well, we probably have to go back to verse 1. Who's the messenger? He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. So we have this messenger. We have this message. But we also have a person, a human being that's coming. This is predicted by Moses in the book of Exodus. Voice number 2, Malachi chapter 3. Notice again, this is God speaking in Malachi chapter 3. Listen to the words. Listen to the significance of the words, right? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Wait a minute, this is God speaking. The messenger is going to prepare the way before what? Before me, before God. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Here we have the Lord Almighty saying, guess what? One day I am going to come and I'm going to take care of the people. God himself says, Yahweh himself says, I am going to come. Notice how Mark interprets this in verse 2. I will send my messenger again ahead of you who will prepare your way. Who is the you? Who? Who's the messenger that's going to prepare the way? What's going on here? What is Mark doing? What is Mark doing in his frame of reference? Taking them back to Moses. Taking them back to Malachi. And now voice number three, taking them to Isaiah. God speaking to Isaiah the prophet. Notice what he says. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for what? The Lord, Yahweh. Make straight in the wilderness, a highway for our God. In other words, be ready because God is coming. Prepare your way. Get your life straight. Align yourselves in the right way. 
Notice how Mark interprets this in verse 3. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. What in the world is Mark doing? Through Moses in the book of Exodus, through Malachi the prophet, through Isaiah, what Mark is saying is, listen, God said that he himself is the one who's going to show up. The Lord Almighty is going to show up. And what is he going to do? He's going to rescue his people. He's going to take care of his people. He's going to help his people. God himself will show up. Who is the one who shows up? It is Jesus. It is Jesus. It is the King Jesus. God himself will show up in the person of Jesus Christ. And what is he going to do? He's going to redeem his people. He's going to come and help his people. We have a clear reference, if you will, to the nature and the character of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. He being fully God, fully human from the very, very beginning. And as we walk through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see Jesus being the Christ. We're going to see Him being the Messiah. We're going to see Him being the Son of God. We're going to see Him act all out all of those titles as an affirmation that God has come to help His people. I think what Mark is doing from the very beginning is this, and don't forget who this is. Don't forget who Jesus is. Don't forget what he's done. And the focus is not necessarily on John. The focus is not necessarily on the messenger. The focus is ultimately on Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. And I think that's what John, John, uh, Mark is absolutely making clear, that I want the focal point to be on not the messenger, John, but on who Jesus is. Because he's the one who's going to come in the way. He's going to want be the one who's going to be, be uh, prepared so that we can walk in the way that he would have us to walk. Recall John chapter 14, verse 6. This idea of a highway to God, pass, if you will. John chapter 14, verse 6. Remember what Jesus says, I am what? The way. I am the truth and I am the life. I think what Mark is laying out from the very, very beginning here is in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, in continuity from the past, if you will, this God who is coming is none other than the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus himself, who's going to come and he's going to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. He is the way. We are to clear the road. We are to clear the highway, clear the pathway so that we can get ourselves right when he comes to us. By the way, in the book of Acts, remember what the people are referred to in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 9, verse 2, they're referred to as what? The way. So Jesus comes, and what does he do? He, he points us in the right direction by living the kind of life, going to the cross, offering himself as a sacrifice for sin so that we can ultimately follow him and do the things that he would have us to do. I think what Mark is doing, exactly what we sung about this morning. Roman Christians, there may be an emperor on the throne. There may be a bad guy on the throne. You may be suffering. You may be in a desert place. You may be in a hard place, but guess what? The king has come. The king has come. And the king is named Jesus. He is called King Jesus. And what he's done, he's come to redeem his people. He's come to help his people. God himself has showed up in the person of Jesus Christ. God has come to help us. He's broken into human history through salvation. He's broken into human history to bring peace and blessing. He's broken into human history to help us in the middle of the desert places of life. He's come to help us and walk with us. 
And that's what we sing about the story. The new king is here, and his name is King Jesus. Do we bow the name to King Jesus and who he is and what he would have for us? I think that's what Mark is doing. He's laying out from the very beginning this voice from the past, from Malachi and Moses, the book of Exodus, Isaiah, this voice speaking from the past is none other than God himself coming to us in the unique person of Jesus. But there's a second voice. I think it's the voice of, of, of John. And, and notice what John does. He doesn't bring a very popular message. He doesn't bring a very popular message. As a matter of fact, I would imagine that almost every one of us shy away from this kind of message, a message of repentance, a message of what we need to do as people is to repent of our sin. We need to turn from where we're at and acknowledge God. Notice what he says in verse 4. Mark says, And John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. You know, what's interesting about the way that that Mark begins this is is he doesn't give us any background material on John. No background material on John. There's there's no... um, Comment and there's no commentary about how he how John was miraculously miraculously conceived. We don't have that. No no appearance of angels and we don't we don't have any of that kind of background material. We don't have any reference to him being filled from the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. We don't we don't have any of that. We don't have this this context of Mary and Elizabeth getting together and coming together and having this conversation. We don't have any of that. We don't even have a, uh, the idea that, that John is the culmination of Old Testament history and the fact that he's a, a prophetic voice that's come from that. We don't have any of that. What, what Mark seems to highlight in his teaching here is this idea of the Messiah coming in the midst of the desert, if you will, the desert experiences. of. I, I wonder what if Mark is doing as he's writing to Roman Christians. He's saying, listen, I understand the context of your life. I understand how difficult it is. I understand how challenging it is. But let's look at Jesus, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and look at where he comes. He comes in the midst of desert experiences of life. Are you in a desert? Roman Christians. Nero's on the throne or somebody's on the throne. Are you feeling persecuted? Are you feeling like you're being beat up? Or you feel like you're living in the desert. Well, that's where the Messiah will come. The Messiah will come and he will show up in the desert. The king has come and he comes to us in the midst of the desert. That's what he says in verse 4. He comes in the middle of the desert. What's interesting is when you go back and look at the, the geography of this, these people are 20, 25 miles away, if you will, from the city of Jerusalem. What was the city of Jerusalem? Was it the city of Jerusalem? The heart of Judaism? Zion? Even the Samaritan woman knew that people were going to flock to Jerusalem and worship on the mountain. Even people knew that. Where are they? They're 20, 25 miles away from in the midst of the desert experiences. What's a desert? It's barren. There's very little vegetation. There's very little water. There's pebbles and rocks and stuff. And probably the wild animals are there, and they're probably mean and hungry. The desert, if you will, is a bad place to be. And that's where the Messiah comes. He comes in the midst of the desert, verse 3 says. The voice of one calling in the desert. John's going to come in the midst of the desert experience of life. John's going to come. And what do the people do? They leave the comfort of their homes. They walk 20 miles, 20, 25 miles. They walk from here down to the city of St. Louis, if you will. And then they crawl down by that river. And, and they hear the message of John speaking, a message of repentance. They go down there in the midst of that desert experience and, and hear John speak. 
The desert is a, is a metaphor, if you will, for the difficulties and challenges of life. And, and that's where the people are at. They're experiencing hardship. They're experiencing pain and suffering. And, and God comes to them in the, in the midst of the hardships of life, and he shows up. What's he going to do? He's going to deliver them. But how does he deliver them? Do you notice how he delivers them in the hard places of life? Not the way that we would normally think. There's this guy who's dressed a little differently. And he's saying, listen, if you go back and look at Matthew and you go back and look at Luke, he says, you brood of vipers. That's not a very welcoming message, is it? You brood of vipers. Understand who you are and that you're separated from God and that the wrath of God, God's judgment abides on you. What you need to do is you need to repent. You need to turn. You need to quit going in the direction that you're going. You need to acknowledge God for who He is and what He's done and you need to give yourself to Him and you need to repent and turn from Him. That was the message. That's the voice of John the Baptist to all of the people out there. You need to turn from the direction that you're going and you need to get right with God. What does it mean to repent? Well, technically it means to, to change the direction that you're in. But I think Mark defines that in verse 5. It says this, what are they doing? They're confessing their sins. They left the comfort of their religious life in Jerusalem to travel 20, 25 miles, if you will, to acknowledge their sin and to acknowledge that they needed to get right with God, to confess their sins to one another, to confess their sins to God, and to be what? To be baptized. That's interesting, to be baptized. What's interesting is, is this, that there's, there's no temple, there's no, but there's, there's no sacrifices. Why are there no sacrifices? Weren't they used to going to the temple and offering the sacrifices for the cleansing of sin? But there's, there's no animal sacrifices. They're in the middle of the desert, and they're being baptized. My understanding, the only baptism for a Jewish person would be this. For a proselyte, a non-Jew to come in, and they would be baptized to identify themselves in Judaism. All of these people are coming out. What Jews had is they had cleansings. They could walk in the water and have cleansing. They are, what, they are going out in the midst of the wilderness to be immersed in the water preach, and responding to John's message of a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. John says, listen, you need to, you need to repent and what? You will, you will find forgiveness. What's the message that they're hearing here? message is this. There's hope. There's hope. John says of Jesus, you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John recognized Jesus as the Lamb of God who is going to be that ultimate sacrifice for sin on the cross. He's going to go to the cross and offer himself for us. And what we understand is this, in the midst of the desert experiences of life, as we acknowledge who God is, as we frame our lives Looking at him, repenting of our sin, he offers us what? Absolutely beautiful cleansing refreshment. We can be forgiven of our sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. You go back and look at the context of Luke and Matthew. All of these different kinds of people, tax collectors, soldiers coming to him, repenting of their sin, some religious leaders coming to him, repenting of their sin, and saying, what I offer you is not an animal sacrifice. What I offer you is the forgiveness given to us in the unique person of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who will cleanse us from all of our sins. That's the voice that they're hearing. This voice of John's preaching, a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. But I think there's another voice here, and it's a subtle voice. And we don't pick up directly, but we, we kind of get a, a subtle reminder of, of who John is and what he's come. So have any of you ever heard of a, 
a website or a, a Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers. Anybody, ever, anybody ever do that? Well, what happened was this. This guy by the name of uh, uh, Ben Kirby, he took pictures of pastors, prominent pastors, you know, pastors that would be on the Internet. And he took pictures of their shirts and their clothes and their shoes. He began to look up um, what some of those cost, preachers and sneakers. And what he found out was this, that some of those shoes cost like $500. Some cost $600. Some cost $800. Some cost $1,800 for a pair of sneakers, a pair of shoes. And he created an uproar by, by posting these. And people began to respond thinking, what in the world is going on? Could you imagine me calling my wife? Hey, babe, how you doing? Oh, good, yeah. Hey, listen, I went and bought some sneakers today. Oh, really, yeah. Oh, they're about $1,500. What, what would happen? Well, wouldn't we look at that and wouldn't we think that there's something wrong with that? In other words, is the way that we live our lives, the way that we, is it communicating something about our Christianity in our faith, the way that we live, the things that we do, the things that we buy, how we conduct ourselves? Is it portraying something that might not be accurate? Notice John. John is this. He wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts in wild honey. Why does he skip the birth? Why does he skip all the miracles? Why does he skip the angel? Why does he skip the fact that, that Zechariah can't speak in the, in the temple? Why does he skip the fact that his name's not Zechariah, his name is John? Why does he skip all of that and focus on what John is wearing? He's not going to make GQ magazine. Maybe Bass Pro, maybe Cabell, I don't know. He's not going to make GQ magazine. But what does he focus on here? He says, listen, this guy's come and he's wearing clothing of camel's hair, leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. I wonder in Mark's mind what he's doing. He's taking us back. He's saying, listen, there's another voice. You remember this voice in the past? What about this guy by the name of Elijah, promised in Malachi? Did you remember that guy? Do you remember that voice from the past? Remember who he is and what he would do? Second Kings chapter 1 says of Elijah, and notice the parallel with John. It says this. He was a man with a garment of hair with a leather belt around his waist. That's speaking of Elijah. So maybe what Mark is doing in describing his dress is taking him back to that wonderful, beautiful prophet Elijah and saying, there is a correlation. There is a parallel here. Elijah, the prophet, John, the prophet, they come together and they're both voices that speak to the present about who God is and what he would do. The angel had told John's father, Zechariah, this in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. Listen to what he says. And he, John, so before John was even born, the angel spoke to Zechariah, the father of John, and said this about John. And he, John, will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That was prophesied about John before he was even born. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 76, notice what is described after John shows up on the scene. Zechariah is finally loose. He can finally speak, and he responds to the birth of his son. And this is what he says about his son. 
And you, John, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. And you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness and then the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the path of peace. We have this wonderful testimony, not only from Malachi, but from the life of Zechariah, from the very, very lips of God, if you will, about who John is or what he would do. And we have this beautiful description of the ministry that he's going to have in introducing the Messiah, if you will, to people. So you have the voice of Scripture. You have the voice of John speaking loudly about, about this message of repentance, about this invitation, if you will, to change. And then John closes with a beautiful description of Jesus. That's why I think this whole section, if you will, is about Jesus. Notice what he says, verse 7. This was his message. After me will come more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What was his message? That one more powerful than I will come. In other words, what he's saying is, 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 is the prophet Malachi and the prophet Isaiah, they were correct. The one more powerful is none other than God himself showing up in the unique person of Jesus Christ. And he's more powerful because what can he do? He can forgive sin. He can heal the sick. He can speak words of truth. He, he ultimately will be able to raise the dead. He can do all of the wonders, all of the power, all of the things that God can do. He is more powerful than John the Baptist. And John recognizes that, and he recognizes his role. He says this, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and tie. Evidently, not even a Hebrew slave was required to do that kind of work. And I think what John is saying is, listen, he's more worthy in the sense that he has the power to do the things that ultimately I cannot do. The only power that I have ultimately is to tell people about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I can tell people about Jesus. I can direct them to Jesus. But he, through the Spirit of God, is the one who ultimately can bring about that type of change. Don't look to me. By the way, when you look at the context of Luke, they were even asking, by the way, is this John? This pre is this John? No. John says, no, it's not me. You need to look to somebody else. Jesus is more powerful. He has more dignity because of who he is. And the last thing is this, about what Jesus ultimately would come to do. Verse 8. I baptize you with the water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's a contrast in baptisms here. There is the immersion in the water that which John was performing, by the way, of which Jesus will uh, submit to, as we're going to see next week. But there's also this idea of being baptized, if you will, identified in the body of Christ through what? Through the Spirit of God who lives inside of the fulfillment of, again, Old Testament prophecy, Ezekiel. That God is going to come and what is he going to do? He's going to change us on the inside. John could not bring about that change. Only the Spirit of God can bring about that kind of transformation, if you will, on the inside. And it's through the hearts and minds of people as they repent, turn from their sin and look to God. And that's the message that John has. So we have this voice of Scripture from the past, the prophets. We have this voice of John saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we have this wonderful message about Jesus of who he is and what he would do. What I do is I just want to just, I want to just give us a couple points of application before we leave. So Thursday night, I had the opportunity to meet with some guys. We took a, 
a gentleman who just uh, lost his wife. His wife passed away, so we went out to dinner with him. And I brought some resources. I brought some books I wanted to give to him. There are books on grieving. There's about four, four books that you can kind of read and go through, and it, and it helps you to go through the grieving process to know and understand. And so I, I wanted to give him those books. So we sat down to eat, and, and I gave him those books, and he appreciated them. And then I told him this. I said, you know what? I, I give you these books because I want them to be a resource to help you as you go through the grieving process. In the book of Romans, it says, we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. We can weep with you right now, but we can also rejoice with you because of this, because of King Jesus. King Jesus came, offered himself as a sacrifice of sin, went to the cross, and now you and I can live through him because we have repented of our sin and we know that we have eternal life with him. And those are not my words. Those are ultimately the words of King Jesus. And that's the promise that we have. My life is radically different because of King Jesus and the presence of him in my life. And it should be true for all of us. It should be true for all of us. What are some things that we can take with us as we hear these voices? Real quickly, four things. Number one is this. This is the voice of Scripture, not me. This is the voice of Scripture. Will we submit our lives to the voice of Scripture, to every aspect of what God's Word has said and revealed to us? Or are we just going to pick and choose? If you pick and choose, Jesus is not your king. You're the king, and you set the bar, and you do what you think is right. Is Jesus on the throne of your life? Have you repented of your sin? And are we continuing to repent of our sin in the sense that we look at this voice of Scripture and say, I want to align myself to the voice of Scripture. Are, are we repenting of our sin? What Mark is going to do is Mark ultimately is going to tell us how to live with Jesus. This is his story, and his story interacts with my story. And am I going to respond to his story, or am I going to just make this about me? This is the voice of Scripture, and we need to align ourselves with the voice of Scripture. I think there's a second voice, and it's this. It's the voice of sacrifice. In the sense that John chose to live an absolutely different way of life. He came preaching a baptism of repentance, and by the way, that preaching got him in trouble. He told Herod, it is not lawful for you to have that woman as your wife. And he was thrown in prison and he lost his life. Why? Because he consistently spoke the truth about God's message to people. And he lived, emulated this life of sacrifice, if you will. Are we living that kind of sacrificial life in what God has called us to do. In other words, with John's dress, he was, he was modeling something to people, right? Are the decisions that we make and are the things that we're doing and the way that we living, is it pointing to something beyond ourselves or is it pointing to something else? We have the voice of Scripture, the voice of sex. What about the voice of materialism? What about the voice of material? What's interesting in the account of Luke chapter 3, you know how the people respond? Uh, John comes preaching this baptism, and you know what their response is this, what do we do? I, I think that should be our response. What do we do? How do I respond? What do we do? In the case for them, it was, okay, you are stealing and, and, and taking people's money. You need to stop doing that. And, and if you have two cloaks, you, you need, to, you need to, to give that to other people. You need to live sacrificially, but you need to, to give and help other people is what we need to do. And that was the message in Luke chapter 3 to the people. And that's the way that they were responding. You brood of vipers. 
Bring forth fruit in what? In keeping with repentance. In other words, change your life. Change what you do with your time. Change what you do with your talent. Change what you do with your money. It's a voice of change, if you will. And the last voice that we see here is this, and we're done. It's ultimately the voice of Jesus. He's the Word made flesh. When you look at John in Luke chapter 3, it says, When John appeared, he came speaking the Word of God. John is God's prophet, is speaking the Word of God, going back to Malachi, going back to Isaiah, going back to Exodus. He's speaking the Word of God. And we have in Scriptures the Word of God. So my challenge to us would be, let's evaluate the story of Jesus and allow the story of Jesus to speak. And let's allow that story of Jesus to speak to to my life and to your life and to see if we need to make any adjustments. Ultimately, the Gospel of Mark is about discipleship. It's about following Jesus. I'm not telling you how to follow Jesus. What I want to do is let's go on this journey together and let's evaluate how we are called to follow Jesus in the hard places of life. And one last thing. Repentance is a part of the message. It really is a part of the message. We need to be mindful not to be fearful of saying, you know what, what God offers us is an opportunity to change, to repent, and to align ourselves with who we are. That's not an unpopular message nowadays. I get it. I really do. But it's a part of the message that we've been given from John. Are we walking in obedience to him, what he would have for us? Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the wonder and the beauty of these voices in the past. Father, thank you for the continuity in Scripture the Old Testament prophets. Oh, God, we can go all the way back to the beauty of the book of Genesis and see continuity in the story about one day the Messiah would come. Father, we thank you for those. Father, we thank you for the voice of repentance that we can actually change. I don't have to live my life in the desert places of life. I can experience grace. I can experience mercy. I can experience the forgiveness of sin, Lord. God, this gentleman who broke into our church, he can experience the forgiveness of sin by putting his faith and trust in you. Father, we thank you for that. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.